Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. All right, good morning, everybody. Woo, it is great to see you guys. Thank you for being here this Sunday morning. We kick off a brand new series entitled God's Wisdom for Healthy Relationships. Anybody here would like a healthy relationship? Let me see a show of hands. Our, our healthier, baby, right? All right, great. Well, you're in the right place. Now, this morning, I want to tell you right up front, I am going to, and I haven't done this in several years, but this message is exclusively and for single people, okay? Now, I know some of you married people are like, man, we picked the wrong Sunday to come to church. Anyway, but I want you to know this message, I truly believe, will be an encouragement to you as well, okay? So what I'd like to do, whether you are single because you are young and you're a college student or you're a professional person that just hasn't married, or you're widowed, or you're divorced, or you are a parent that is raising a little single person that will become a single adult someday. This information could be really, really helpful, and I think lay some incredible groundwork for your kids someday. So something that you would really want to clue into and to listen to. But regardless of how you got to singleness, I want to talk to you a little bit about marriage today. Now, some of you may be thinking, uh, why are you talking to single people about marriage? I mean, they're not married. But here's why I'm doing this. Because I really believe that single people that are uninformed about marriage, what marriage actually is, that it can cause them to live with some real distortions relationally and it can cause them to not live very well at all as an adult because here's what happens, and I've seen this happen over and over, it's happening in our culture today, people either over-desire marriage or they under-desire marriage. This is happening all over the place. And if we don't have a balanced understanding biblically of what marriage is and what our approach should be to it, and that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today, it's really easy to go through life with a massive distortion that could really hurt us and hurt other people. So let's keep that in mind as we move forward this morning. And what I want to do first as we kick off is take a look in 1 Corinthians, this first letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting with verse 27. And right here, Paul is going to talk to single people. Now, he's going to also talk to some married people along the way as well, but he's talking to single people, and he is going to lay a sort of theological backdrop that I want to explain as we go through this, because it's critical to understanding why he's saying what he's saying, if you understand what is in his mind, what he understands about what God's about to do, okay? So let's take a look at this together, and hopefully this will turn some lights on for all of us today. Here's how he begins in verse 27. He says, are you pledged to a woman? In other words, are you married? Do you not, uh, do not seek to be released? Are you free from such a commitment? Are you widowed? Are you divorced? Are you never married? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. 
right? And if a virgin marries, this Greek word virgin can also mean young woman, a young betrothed woman, literally. If a woman, a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. Okay, so let's pause for just a minute and say, what on earth is Paul talking about right here, okay? Because this uh, sort of on its face seems to be a little bit at odds with some other things that Paul has written. Over in Ephesians chapter 5, this, church, this letter to the church at Ephesus, he has this exalted view of marriage. Incredible. This seems to be really different. What is going on here? Is Paul just having a bad day, right, towards marriage? What's happening? Let's keep reading. Here's what he says. From now on, those who have wives should live uh, as if they do not, and those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, and he says, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them for this world in its present form is, let's say these last words together, is passing away. Okay, my goodness, what is Paul talking about here, right? So let me begin by explaining this theological backdrop that Paul, this framework that he's working from, because many people miss this. They missed it in his day. They miss it right down to this day sometimes. Paul is referring back to the Old Testament prophets, when they preached about the coming Messiah from heaven, right? When they preached about the coming Messiah, they said that he would come to end the order of the old world, the order of all things now, when he would come. And simultaneously, when he came, when he came, he would bring the kingdom of God to earth. So literally, when Jesus was conceived in Mary's belly, a new world was born at that moment. It's hard for us to conceive this in our human minds, but that's what happened. And there is this overlap. This is what theologians have called and ancient biblical historians have called the overlap of the ages. That the kingdom of God and the old order of the world are simultaneous. As a matter of fact, we are living in that overlap right now. Now, here's what's interesting, is that when the Messiah was coming, even his own people, the Jewish people, did not expect the kind of Messiah that Jesus was. Every, to everyone's amazement, Jesus did not ascend to a throne. They thought he would come as reigning king at that moment, but rather he went to a cross. He didn't come to bring judgment, not this time. He came to bear judgment, ours. What should have come to us, it went to him. So what does this mean? What are the implications for you and I today? That Jesus brought the kingdom of God and that through repentance and through faith, placing our hope and trust in God, we can enter the kingdom of God now while still on this earth. That that is absolutely a reality. Now, this world in its present order is still here. It's still in existence, and it has death and decay and disease, and we see it all around us, don't we? And it's still here, but simultaneously, the power of God has brought the kingdom of God to earth, but not fully, not completely. You see Jesus talking about that it's come, but not fully come. 
you know, uh, right there in the, the, uh, the Lord's Prayer where he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? Well, if God's kingdom has already fully manifest, why would we be praying such a thing? But that when we obey God and we open ourselves up to um, follow his um, his leadership in our life and his word for our life, we literally become conduit through which that the divine can come to earth, that God can bring his will to earth when we obey him. And that's what that prayer does. It's bringing God's kingdom to earth, and there's coming a time when it will be fully here. But you need to understand that this old order of things here, its days are numbered. It is living on borrowed time It is doomed to failure. And Paul says, it is so easy to forget this in your world. It is so easy as you're going through day-to-day life to, to keep in mind this world is passing away in its present form. All the stuff that seems so important right now, it's passing away. So what should our response be? We should be living accordingly to this, this, this current reality. He says, keep this reality in your mind at all times. This assurance of God's future world should transform our attitudes towards everything we do. Like, He's saying, when it sounds like he's kind of going through a rant there in those last few verses of 27 through 31, and 1 Corinthians 7, he's basically saying, hey, listen, enjoy some, some of your success in this life, but don't enjoy it too much. Now, you can be sad about failure, but don't be too sad, right? Enjoy nice things, but don't enjoy them too much. Don't become engrossed in them. Why? Because this world is passing away. It will not last. It's passing away. And when it comes to relationships, whether you're married or you're single, both are good options, Both are good. God will use both in your life. And this is a radical statement because he's helping us to understand that it is Jesus, not another human being, that will ultimately fulfill the deepest longings and thirsts of your soul. It is Jesus. And it is not the family that you create, but it is the family of God that will be ultimate, eternal, and will satisfy you. And he's saying that hopefully, you know, like hopefully our biological family will also be a part of our, the kingdom family. But he's saying to keep this in mind, and it is hard for me to overstate how radical of an idea this was for Paul to teach in his day. And that Jesus taught this as well. To, to teach such a thing in a time when the religion and the culture of the day, the dominant religions and the dominant cultures of the world at that time were all teaching, no, your only real true value as a human being is found in your family. It is found in your children and in any honor that you have as a human being is found in your heirs. If you don't have heirs, if you don't have children, you don't have progeny, it's as if you didn't exist. That's the way they believed. And for him to stand up and say such a thing at this time, that no, there is a spiritual family, that it will outlive this family, it's radical. That Christianity was the first and only world religion to stand up and say, no, single adulthood is a viable option for you. Like, it is legit 
You can live like this and God is pleased and he will use you. Nobody was teaching that. That was radical at the time. And he was helping us to understand that we should not be overly elated by getting married and overly disappointed by being, um, uh, disappointed by not being married. He's saying he's trying to help us to understand that, that there is a, a balanced approach that, that God's trying to teach us here. And uh, one of the leading professors on this idea of the early church and te- taking the teaching of Jesus and teaching about singleness, Dr. Stanley Hauerwas, Here's what, in a quote from his book, A Community of Character, he says, one clear difference between Christianity and Judaism and all other traditional religions is that the former's entertainment of the idea of singleness is the paradigm way of life for its followers. Now think about this for just a minute. It was Christianity whose founder, Jesus Christ, and head theologian, the Apostle Paul, lived their entire lives single, and they never felt like they were lacking. They never felt like less than because they were single. As a matter of fact, Hebrews 4.15 tells us that Jesus was the perfect man. He was sinless perfection. Sinless perfection. And so here they came. Here's Christianity coming on the scene at a time when that was absolutely the diametrically opposed view of every, what everyone else believed. But we, it's funny because we still get this wrong today. There are still people in the church that kind of like look at single people like they're a problem to solve, like we need to get her married. We need to get him married. Oh my goodness, man. And and let me just ask you this. Those of you who are single or you're watching this online, have you ever had, I mean, a well-meaning friend or family member look at you and they try to explain away your singleness, right? They're just trying to, you know, like trying to figure out the problem here a little bit. If you grew up in church, I want to share with you three statements that I have heard. And if I could just out myself, I have said some of these things to my own shame. Probably said them to my own girls at some point. So um, let me just say, if you participated in this, and you know, no shame, but it's kind of funny how this works. If you're a single person, maybe you heard this before. As soon as you are satisfied with God alone, he'll bring somebody special into your life right? As though God's blessings are earned by our contentment. If we could just get content, oh, and you, that's when you really start getting all the blessings to, coming to you, right? Now, whether you grew up in church or not, maybe you didn't grow up in church, but I bet you've heard this one. You're just too picky. You know, that's why you're single. You're just too picky, as if God's up in heaven saying, my goodness, I don't know if I can work within these parameters you've given me to work. I mean, I'm a miracle worker, but good night. I'm not sure I can do much here, right? That is not, that is not where God is in this equation of things, all right? And here's the last one. Before you can marry somebody wonderful, the Lord has to make you somebody wonderful. As if to say that God only grants marriage to the satisfactorily sanctified, Right? That's not how it works, right? Let me just say on behalf of all the married people in the room to the single people, we got married not because we finally got satisfied with God alone, we stopped being so picky, and we finally became somebody wonderful. That is not what, can we just be honest? That is not what happened, right? For many of us, we're like, I don't even know what happened. I just, I just got married, right? It's, it's like marriage isn't something that happened because um, we got it right, and our single friends didn't. 
So let me just take some of the pressure off of you single people, right? You are not less than, you're not second-class citizens, you're not getting punished because you're single. Uh, I promise you that God has great things he wants to do and is going to do in your life. And, And here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to take the next few minutes and talk about two categories that I see people, single people fall into that are really caused out of fear. So I want to just tell you to beware of two fears about marriage that I think could be really, really helpful to you, okay? If you're single today or you love somebody who is single, you know somebody that's kind of working through singleness and trying to get clear-minded on it, so let's talk about that for just a minute. So here's the first one, the fear of marrying. Now, now this isn't everybody's fear, but there is a lot of apprehension around some single people's lives of saying, I'm not sure I want to get married. And part of that apprehension is because they are focused on the wrong things, okay? So just let's do a little self-examination of yourself, whether you're single today. Think about this. Because empirical study tell us over and over again When a man is looking for a partner, what he generally is looking for is a near perfection in physical attractiveness in a woman. And when a woman is looking for a partner, she is looking for a man who is financially well off. We're talking about in the church, out of the church, claims to be a Christian, not claims to be a Christian. This is just the general way that America is living, right? And what's interesting about this is that that, that uh, lifestyle or that choice to, to move in that direction, when somebody says, hey, I'm looking for the perfect person, what typically is dominating their thoughts is attractiveness and financial wealth. And you take this kind of ideology, which whether we're aware, of it, we're aware of it or we're not aware of it, sometimes it's subconscious, we bring that into the dating pool, whether it's online or otherwise, Right? What is dating become? It becomes this sort of crass form of self-marketing. Like, unless you are attractive or wealthy within that pool, let's be honest, you're not going to get dates. And even within that, those who are dating and that are starting to like, okay, I think this is going somewhere, many times, not always, but many times, part of the reason we are drawn to those people isn't them, it's us. The reason you want an attractive or wealthy partner is because of how it makes you feel. It builds up your self-esteem. Let's be honest about the psychological desire or motivator behind this because there's something deep down in you that says, if I could get a highly desirable person to love me, then I'm worth something. I'm valuable. I'm like somebody right? It, it's, it is a form of self-salvation in our day-to-day. We're unlike in ancient cultures, if you had a family, children, progeny, heritage passed on, etc. Today, it's like, can you get somebody that's the beautiful, wealthy, those people that fall into that archetype, then man, you're somebody. The Apostle Paul would call this self-justification. We're trying to justify ourselves. We're trying to make ourselves feel like we're worth it. I'm valuable. Look, because according to the rule book of this game down here on this earth that is passing away, by the way, I'm winning. 
And Paul is saying, be so careful. You're following the pattern of this world. Don't become engrossed in it. Because this world in its present form is passing away. It's going away. And this world, this culture that we live in, make no mistake about it, is discipling, I'm using that word on, time, on purpose, is discipling us to believe in this thing that has become to be called the apocalyptic romance. That if you could just find that person that will fulfill you and satisfy you spiritually and intellectually and emotionally and sexually, man, that's worth leaving your spouse and go look for her, go look for him. And people are doing it all the time and single people are buying into this and it is causing such heartbreak and devastation that is not your savior and that is not what's going to bring value to your life that is not what's going to justify your life and Paul is trying to help you to see you're looking for something that's not there it's found in Jesus Christ it is only with him it is only there and Turn to him. Trust him. You see, singleness isn't a, a sign of spiritual deficiency any more than marriage is a sign of spiritual maturity. And we could reverse that as well. This, that, that marriage isn't spiritual deficiency and singleness isn't a sign of spiritual maturity. God's saying, I'll work through both, but don't idolize either one of those things. Be so careful the way that you view these things. There's this great classic article written by Paige Brown called Singled Out by God for Good. And I want to give you this beautiful way that she ends the article. So insightful here. And she was a teacher at a theological school, and here's what she said. She says, let's face it, singleness is not an inherently inferior state of affairs. If it were, heaven would be inferior to this world for the majority of Christians. What an incredible insight she just brought us right there. That is so brilliant. She says, but I want to be married. This is like my desire. I want to be married. I pray to that end every day. She's like, make no bones about it. Like, I don't really necessarily want to be single. I am single. And she says, I may meet someone and walk down an aisle in the next couple of years because God is so good to me. Or I may never have another date because God is so good to me. She's like, I'm, I'm being for real. <laughs> Not my will, but his be done. Do you see the balance? This balanced approach is the one that we need to be praying for and trying to discipline our heart to adopt as we go into and approach relationships and marriage. And I love how she ends this. This is so funny. She says, until then, I'm claiming as my theme verse, if any man would come after me, let him, right? <laughs> Isn't that great? Um, I'll explain that to you later if you didn't get that joke. But anyway, that's really cute. That's really funny. And she's being honest. And she's saying, listen, in the meantime, and I want to encourage you to do the same thing, trust God's goodness. That there are promises all throughout Scripture. I counted four in Psalms just this week that, that says that those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Here in Psalm 34, it's 10. Those who seek the Lord. Like, I'm seeking God, not salvation in another person. I'm seeking God. Those who seek the Lord 
the Lord, they will lack no good thing. God's like, I'm not gonna leave good stuff out. You need to remember that, that part of the reason why I may have you single right now is out of mercy for you. Like, I'm saving you, I promise you, from heartache and heartbreak. There are a lot of people that are in relationships that should not have been because they weren't willing to wait on the Lord. And there are those who are single that are bitter and angry and frustrated because of their situation in life, and they are not seeking the Lord. They are not trusting God with it. And there is no joy in that, and they don't sense the goodness of God. You have to seek Him. you got to trust Him. And in that, God does an amazing work. So some are afraid of marriage, and then, as you might imagine, the other is also true, the fear of never marrying. Some single people feel like they're just sort of sitting in a state of purgatory. <laughs> they're just here, I'm just waiting to get married, and like God is up there saying, well, if you would just get married, I'd start using you, right? And I hope you know by this point in the sermon, that is absolutely false. That is not God's view. That is not where he's coming from. But a lot of people feel that way. They really feel like that. That God wants to use you right where you are, and that's his desire, and he wants to lavish his love on you, regardless of your relational status. You see, the gospel, that Jesus came to forgive our sins, and through faith in him, we can be set free from this world that is passing away, the sin, of sin decay, and, uh, and, and all of it that is uh, you know, falling apart in this place. He is asking us to trust him. And through that faith, we get to start to participate in this future kingdom now. And that future kingdom de-idolizes marriage. It takes away the ultimate component of marriage. It takes away this like, I have to, this is the end all be all. I must find somebody. I must go after this apocalyptic romance or else life's not worth living. And that is the message you will see in our culture over and over through movies, Netflix, music. I, I finally found and I, I got now that missing piece of my soul. I'm telling you, we can love people, they can love us, and God can use people in powerful and wonderful ways, and we love each other, but they cannot take the place of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul's warning. He's saying, be so careful because I want to help you to be able to be free regardless of what God has in the future. And that he wants you to be a part of his family. He wants you to be a part of his people. He has got a plan and that we together corporately as the body of Christ, we come together and he will use this for our good. And Peter talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. I love this. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God, you corporately, all together. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received, you've received this gift of salvation through faith that you have repented, you've trusted Christ, and he's radically changed and can change your life. And it is through this change that it happens within the context 
of the church, God's body, God's family. You see, the church is the Christian's ultimate family, and through it, God makes it possible for you to be complete. Now, it's God that's making you complete, but he uses people. He uses people to help us, to hold us accountable, to love us, to pray for us, and us doing it the same for them. And it's so incredible, it's so powerful when we begin to do this. And what Peter is talking about here is that the Christian, when they come to faith, they are now experiencing this strong bond with each other that is stronger than anything in this world. It's stronger than our nationality, our heritage, our race, and even our blood relation. Because he says, the family of God will outlive all of that. It will go on and on and on for eternity. It's powerful. And so I just want to encourage you today that you would look for that in the body of Christ. Those of you who are single, guys that are single, you need sisters in Christ. That, that are not, it's not a romantic relationship. You need sisters in Christ. You need their perspective. You need their input. You need to be praying for them and them for you. And, and ladies, you need men in your life. You need to be able to have men that you can trust that are praying for you and you're praying for them. And you're, There's mutual encouragement that's happening that may or may not turn into something long-term romantic, but you just need, it's part of the body of Christ. And families, I want to encourage you, couples and families, to invite singles into your life. Invite them over for dinner. Let them be a part of your life. I remember I was 25 when I got married, and I was, this was back in the early 90s, and most of my friends were all married at that time. And I was like one of the last single guys in my friend group. And I didn't have a lot of people to hang out with. And I had families that would invite me over and for dinner. And I, man, I looked so forward to hanging out with those families and just talking to people that weren't just single people. Like nothing wrong with that, but you want that perspective and you need that maturity and you need that experience of life. So some of you here would make incredible spiritual fathers and mothers to some of the younger people in this, in this church and vice versa. You could be somebody's spiritual son or daughter. That could be, it could be a beautiful relationship that you could begin to set up. Let's just have supper together. Let's just share our lives together. Let's pray for each other. Just know that we love you and you, you love us and we're, we're gonna spend time together. And, and again, nothing against having you know ladies' night, guys' night, that kind of thing. I, that, but I know some singles are like, I've had enough of those nights. I'd love to be with a family. I'd love to be in that experience, and I'd love to feel what it's like to be just in and among a family. I remember that, just thinking, God, I forgot. I forgot how cool this is, the love and just doing life. And that's what the church gets to provide for each other. And I just want to encourage you, would you be open? Step out of your comfort zone and invite somebody over this week. Love on them. This love that God wants to show through you, he shows to every single person. He offers it through his gift of salvation that we can receive by repenting, turning from sin, turning to God, that's what repentance means, receiving his gift of grace, undeserved forgiveness. It is his gift of salvation. And I want to encourage you to receive that today. If you have never become a follower of Jesus, a child of God, you could do that today. I want to encourage you to do that. And when you do that, God radically transforms your life and your identity. And that no longer is your identity found in your marital status, but in your redemptive status. 
This is the thing that lasts forever, and this is the thing that Jesus came to bring. It is his kingdom that will last forever. Do not build, don't be so foolish. Don't fall under the folly of this world of saying, I'm gonna build my house on this shifting sand. Don't do it. It's passing away. Today, decide, Lord, I surrender my relational status to you right now. Not my will, but yours be done. I can trust you because you are so good to me. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.